We good? Stephen said he liked that through his headphones. Uh, man, I'm just, I'm just thrilled to be here this morning to see all of your faces and to be able to worship together, to study God's Word together, and then the, the fullness of seeing believers' baptism. That's why we're called Baptists, what you just saw. That we show forth what the Lord commanded as a symbol, not as a sacrament. It did, Ledger didn't get saved when I dunked him. He was just a wet Christian. If you're lost, then you're just a wet sinner. But the Lord had saved him. And he wanted everyone to know biblically, outwardly, what had happened inwardly. And so we're so proud of God moving in that situation as he's been moving in all of our lives. Let me take a moment and thank all of you for your cooperation. Uh, man, it was exciting as I stood outside and saw people pulling up the respect that everyone's having for each other, wearing the mask in the common areas, the hallways and things like that. To hear the high school girls giggling outside of their classroom, uh, to hear the children uh, singing and talking about the lesson this morning, standing outside of theirs, uh, to see the couples sitting together in Sunday school. That is God's order, and you are faithful. And so keep trusting, keep pushing, keep praying, and we believe God is going to continue doing what he's doing in our lives. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. As we continue in the fifth series, fifth sermon in the series from 2 Peter, you have been warned. Beware, you have been warned. Peter is telling the readers that you've been warned through Scripture. You've been warned through the actions of our Savior and through the actions of the world that there are enemies among us. There are attacks that will come against God's children. There are ploys of Satan to try to demoralize you, to destabilize the church, and to keep God's will from being done. And we are to wake up because we're living in one of the most realistic times of what 2 Peter warns us of. Now, I don't know about you, but I had a meeting, a couple of meetings uh, other night, and I had to get home for the debate. I wanted to watch the debate, wanted to hear what was said, not that it was going to change my opinion, but I wanted to see what was going on. By about the eighth minute, I watched the other hour and 15 minutes on mute. I literally did. It was like watching one of those bad lip reading things, you know, where I literally just watched it and someone posted something about it and I said, you know, it reminds me of when I coached football in middle school and two players or two middle school students got in trouble and they're both in the coach's or principal's office and they're yelling over one another on whose fault it is. That's what it reminded me of, a bunch of noise. A bunch of noise. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes noise is not important, but I can't stand, I was just raised differently. You don't talk over other people. But it was a bunch of noise. Well, I want to tell you, every day in our life, 
You can scan all the channels. I don't care what channel you listen to. I don't care what channel you watch. I don't care what blog, vlog, podcast you're tuning into. There's a bunch of noise in the world right now. A bunch of noise. He tells us in 2 Peter 3.17, Beloved, children, brethren, seeing that you know these things beforehand, now, we're, we are 2,000 years basically removed from Peter's writing. We know or should know even more by faith, not just in oral tradition, but in the special revelation of God's Word and through God's general revelation through nature. We ought to know beforehand what's coming, not maybe in the particulars or the timing, but we know what's coming. And so he said, beware, beware. Things are going to come. You think it's bad. Wait till we get the last couple of weeks before an election. Y'all know everybody, I think including the candidates, hate election commercials. But it's not just in that, it's in pro sports. It's in college campuses. It's in the everyday routines of life where there's noise thrown at us Believe this, don't believe that. Either follow us and profess what we say, say our words, or you're against us. So if you want to be for us, then you must do and say what we say do. Peter says, you know beforehand, beware. Beware of what's coming. You say, oh, preacher's going to get on politics. No, I'm talking about the spiritual dynamics of what we're living in. You cannot, hear me today, you cannot take politics, slice it off, and take it out of the spiritual realm when you're a born-again believer. Everything about our life is spiritual. God saves us, God calls us, and when that happens, that Satan is going to attack us. He's going to attack our country. Have you not read the Old Testament? Have you not read of the Amorites and the Amalekites? Have you not read of the Philistines and the Egyptians? Have you not read everywhere God's people are, Satan is going to attack? And so I want us to look for just a few minutes on the fact that we need to avoid the noise. Avoid the noise. I was talking to someone this week about doing stuff around the house, and they said, well, you got, you got your son at home. He can cut the grass. I said, no, I want to cut the grass. I love cutting the grass. I like to get on there. I, I plug in my, my headphones, noise-canceling headphones, put the music I want to listen to as loud as I want to listen to it, so loud you can't hear a skag mower is pretty loud and I just zone out and cut my grass. Love it. I avoid the noise. I don't have a clue. If anybody's trying to call me, anybody's trying to get my attention, I'm just zoned out because I've turned the noise off of the world for an hour and a half to have just that little slice of me time and I'm more worried about how good my lines look and making sure everything's cut and what song I'm jamming to, and I'm good. 
Listen, someone said, don't let the noise of the world keep you from hearing the voice of God. Is it any wonder that sometimes the most clarity we have is in the shower? Unless you are really a fanatic, you probably don't have a TV in your shower. I, I jump every time I pump grass, a gas and somebody starts talking to me. I mean, you can watch the news and sports while you pump gas. It's crazy. We've got TVs and radios and stuff in every corner, but sometimes the greatest clarity is when there's no worldly noise and we're able to hear the voice of God. That's why worship's so important. That's why Sunday school is so vitally important. Our children are under attack. And listen, if you think that Sunday school and small groups and Wednesday night, which will start this week, is a multiple choice question, you're risking the future of your children by not having them under the godly, praying, burdened leadership to help your family grow your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Wednesday night, 6.30. Right here. Sunday morning, 9.30. To hear the voice of God. The first thing I want us to see this morning, look with me in chapter 2, verse 1. There were false prophets also among the people. He's looking back, but now listen to him. Here's the beware part. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now what does that mean among you? It doesn't mean just politics. It doesn't mean just in the world. It means even in the church. Wolves, the Bible describes them, in sheep's clothing. And make no mistake about it. Hear me now. A goat can never be a sheep. A goat will be a goat. A sheep will be a sheep. When the Lord saves us, the Lord calls us, the Lord changes us. We are His sheep that dwell in His pasture. But oftentimes... Goats will cross the line and try to take over. They will come in amongst the sheep just like tares among the wheat. And we must beware. There are false teachers among us who privately, he said, shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious, pernicious ways. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Whose judgment now of a long time lingers not. And their damnation does not sleep. I want you to understand, first of all, don't be surprised at the fact that everyone is not your friend. You hear what I'm saying? Everybody's not your friend. Everybody doesn't want what you want. Everyone doesn't want you to succeed. Everyone does not want 
your family to thrive. There are enemies among us, as we'll see in a minute. Benjamin Franklin said, the worst wheel of the cart makes the most noise. My daddy always said, a bit dog hollers. The truth is, that one which makes the most noise often is the worst among them, the loudest among them. And so we need to not be surprised when everyone is not our friend. Notice who he describes who is not our friend. I'm going to tell you, words like compromise and tolerant can sometimes be the antithesis of what we're supposed to do as Christians. Standing up for what is right does not mean you hate somebody. Right there, blank space in the sentence that the teacher says, Philly, and that's where you put amen. Because listen, the Bible tells us right here that there's going to be destructive heresy among us. Look very clearly in verse 1. He said they privately, secretly bring in damnable, which is the worst kind of heresy, heresy that God curses, that God explicitly says is wrong, and yet we capitulate so that we will keep our numbers. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Jesus said, that I'm a stone, the cornerstone that people who trust me will build their lives upon, but those who reject me, I will fall on and crush. Is that not biblical? Do we not understand that Jesus died so that we would be delivered from sin, not that we should dwell in it? Heresy says you can have both. Heresy says, oh, well, God just loves everybody, and ultimately, all roads lead to one, and everything's going to work out. I don't know about Justice Ginsburg, but I know her testimony and her faith tells me that nobody will see her in heaven. You say, well, you're not to judge. I'm telling you based on the fruits of her tree and on the religion that she followed, she denied the Messiah. And the Bible tells me that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Well, you don't have a right to say it. I have every right according to the word of God to be able to say those who reject Jesus don't go to heaven. And if you're sitting here living in a false assurance that it's just all going to work out because you're in church today, because you brought your child to Sunday school, because you dropped some money in an offering plate, because you got wet one time, you went to Bible school and filled out a card, but there's never, listen, Ledger put it clearer than I could ever put it. He said, I asked Jesus to save me and forgive me of my sins. It takes repentance, folks. We can't just go through life popping gum and say, oh, I believe in Jesus and never say, but I'm a sinner and without you, I will die and go to hell. Do you know Jesus talked three times as much about hell as he did about heaven? Because I believe he didn't want people to go to hell. 
But he told us out of his own mouth, statistically more going to go there than go to heaven. Heresy, damnable heresy. And he says it's, it's done secretly. You see, when Satan tempts us, he doesn't come at us with a bullhorn sometimes. It's just the little constant noise in our spirit that says, well, you ought to just accept that. Just don't say anything. Don't say anything. Now, sometimes it's right not to say anything. We need to study to be quiet. But we need to be the hither man. The hither man is the man who sits on the back, the woman who sits on the back, the teenager who sits on the back and doesn't say anything until God calls them up hither. And when God calls you up hither and says, speak, then speak. But always speak the truth in love. Understand something. I didn't say what I just said about Ginsburg because I relish that. For people, I don't care how much you're against the president, to wish ill on him, I hope he dies. We've seen some of that. I hope none of us ever said that when the person that we didn't approve was in office. Well, maybe if somebody just assassinated, listen, that's asking God to cause the country to fail and to bring failure on ourselves. Listen, we ought to pray for all those who are in leadership above us, whether it is the president, which is one party, or the speaker who is in another. We need to pray for God to speak to them and to avoid the heresies that is spewed around the nation. We'll say it vividly clear. Hear what I'm about to tell you. There's a man who calls himself reverend. There's a man who calls himself pastor. Who pastors a very renowned church in the state of Georgia who's running for public office. Who has verbally, in print, and in an ad endorsed abortion as being biblically sound and God supports. Church, if there's ever a definition of heresy, that's it. Because it's destructive. That's what he said. That's what damnable means. It means utter destruction. They say things and do things. Listen, Satan does what? The Bible says he does nothing but roam around seeking whom he may devour so that he may kill, steal, and do what? What does that mean? Destroy. When I think of the word destroy, I think of the atom bomb. I think of the daisy cutters when they drop them. And you know why they call them daisy cutters? Because it says it literally wipes out everything, cuts every leaf of grass, every flower from the ground. Complete wasteland. I think of that as the heresies when we allow things that are unbiblical such as critical race theory and other things to where we try to prop up and make our own judgments about things when God ultimately and very clear gave us the word that we are to love him and love people. That's it. And it's not a theory. It's fact. And we must stand on that, not on heresy that can be so so destructive. But he said, 
they privately, secretly bring them in. We must always be aware. That's why you need to pray for your pastor and leadership of this church. That's why you ought to listen to everything I say. And every Christian ought to be a fact checker. Every one of them. Because it always astounds me when some Christians come to me and tell me who they're listening to on TV. In the realm of the spiritual world. And certain TV evangelists and preachers and things. Because it sounds real good, it tickles our ears. It tells us, oh, you can be anything you want. And just because somebody grins and holds a Bible up and says, repeat after me, does not mean they follow the truth of Scripture. Some of the most well-known that people follow, and if I call their names, some of you probably watch them, believe in a dual covenant theology where they say, well, Jews go to heaven one way and Gentiles go to heaven another. I'm telling you, there's only one path to glory, and his name is Jesus. It's heresy to believe anything, and it's destructive. But then apostasy. He said, many shall follow, in verse 2, their pernicious waves. Your Bible may say deceptive or lascivious ways. This is the base element of humankind. This is the live and let live, free love. Don't everybody, don't anybody say anything to me about my lifestyle. Your truth is not my truth. There's no absolute truth. Everything is subjective. Nothing is objective. And so don't judge me. Don't say anything to me. We can do whatever we want. People over property, which was sent out by a local reverend who says that, that to look after people is more important. In other words, that it doesn't matter if we burn buildings down. One even said on TV, that's reparations. I'm going to tell you something. The only thing every single human being ever born on the face of the earth deserves is hell. But Jesus died to redeem us. And he tells us our reparations are in glory. Y'all with me? I know this is not popular. But I love people enough to tell them the truth. You ever had to tell your child something you didn't want to have to tell them, but you knew in the long run it was the best thing for them? You say, well, you don't need to talk down. Listen, we're all susceptible to deceptive practices. All of us. I don't care how smart you are. I've seen some of the most brilliant minds that were in seminaries and others. I, I think of two right off the bat that were unbelievable conservative, conservative theologians in our Southern Baptist con, uh, uh, seminaries who la later in life capitulated their conservative view of true theology and began a a doctrine called open theology, that God, because of free will, because God allows us to make choices, God can't know the future. And they limited God in that and made God lesser than what God is, but God can't be made lesser. God is omniscient and he knows all things. That's apostasy. It's deceptive in its practice. We must be careful 
of the deceptive practices. You know, they get up and say, well, if you're, if you're not this, then you can't be that. Well, if you don't join us, then you don't really care about us. I'm going to tell you something. Eastside Baptist Church loves God and loves people. Did you hear any color in that? Did you hear any racial divide in that? Because it's not. Matthew 22 and the Old Testament's very clear that the first commandment's love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself, which is the next great commandment. Listen, church, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. And we always quote the old children's hymn, Red, Yellow, Black, and White, They're Precious in His Sight. But red, yellow, black, and white can always also be deceptive in his sight. It can come from any corner of the globe. It's like saying Muslims are a peaceful religion. Listen, I've got a Koran in my office. I'll pull it out and show you the language that says, yes, we're peaceful unless it does not agree with the Koran and the great prophet Muhammad, and then you have license to do whatever you want, and Muhammad understands and Allah will be praised. That's why the last words of a terrorist, a Muslim terrorist, is always, to God be the glory, Allah Akbar. Always. Because they have been deceived by religion that didn't start until 600 years after the Savior had died. It's deceptive. But then, here's the real thing I want you to get. Do you know why people hate Christians so much? Lost people hate Christians so much. Why there is an open assault on Christianity? Because you carry a peace they don't understand. You can walk into some of the most, we've got people, first responders that, and, and people who work in the public sector who see and deal with things that if they got up here right now and spoke for 35 seconds on something they saw just this week, most of you wouldn't be able to handle it. And they deal with it day in, day out. Do you know why they don't want you to stand in your faith? Because the honest truth is they want what you have. He said by coveting, covetousness, a coveting practice. He said through this, through covetousness shall they with Feigned words make merchandise of you. One crowd wants to court the evangelicals. The other side says evangelicals are fanatics and crazy, gun-toting, Bible-thumping crazies. That's all, you know, we don't wear shoes and we live in mud huts. But the truth is, listen, they're jealous of the peace we find in Christ where we can stand in the face just like Bonhoeffer in, in Nazi Germany stand and say, I will not renounce my Savior even if you take my life. When Martin Luther stood and says, here I am, I can do no other. When all of the saints... When all of them, going back to the prophets of, of Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and Daniel and Samuel and those who gave their life all the way through to the apostles who were sawed in half, crucified on crosses, lit on fire, drowned in mockery of believers' baptism, they did so in great peace 
that the world cannot understand. And Peter said, and Peter knowing the prophecy, he was going to die on the cross. He said, they want what you have. And he said, the way they do it, he said, they do it, first of all, look, with feigned words. What does that mean? So some of you have New King James or NIV or NASB. What word does your Bible use for feigned? Deceptive. The original Greek word literally is the word we take in our English word to mean plastic. It's plastos. And it literally means a fake, twisting word. A word that we can entice people, but it really doesn't mean what people think it means. It is feigned word. It's a plastic word. We can, you know, you ever told somebody, don't twist my words. They try to make it sound or be something that it's not. You know, in court, they, it, everything comes down. That they transcribe every single word so that lawyers can go back, so judges can review and see based on the language, based on what, and sometimes they find loopholes because of what the prosecutor did or because of this or because of that, and they try to trip people up. But listen, what Satan is doing in all of his power is throw the plastic words at us that sound really good, that looks really good, that's very flamboyant, but he's twisting in an artificial way to try to convince us, hey, I'm right. Come with me and I can give you a big house, new truck, bunch of money, retirement home, bunch of vacations, anything you want, just follow me. Well, he tried that with Jesus. Took him up and he said, look at all this. It's like the price is right. All this can be yours if the price is right. And Jesus didn't say, you knucklehead, it's all mine anyway. But he stood there in the person of the Son of God rather than God, even though he was God. He didn't leave being God, but being 100% man and being tempted as a man, he stood and deflected to the will of the Father. He didn't in arrogance say it's all mine anyway, even though it was. Listen, we don't stand in arrogance. We stand in humility and we stand and say, listen, that which is not of God is not for me. But don't be surprised when the world wants what you want. Now, they'll say everything you have and everything you are is everything they're against. But the truth is they want the peace that goes beyond. They can't understand that. They can't understand peace beyond understanding. I saw a man get saved one time after my uncle's funeral. He worked with my, my uncle's son, my cousin, and we were all in a deer hunting club together, and this boy was rough now. And I don't talk about, you know, we talked about the rednecks that everybody thinks of. This was him. When you looked up foul mouth, beer guzzling, mud between your toes, deer guts hanging out of the back of your truck, redneck, his picture was in the dictionary. This guy was as rough as they come. I'm not joking. And he come to the visitation. 
And all of my family, not all believers, but the majority were, and they were standing out, and we cried, and we went in, you know, by the casket and all that. But out on the front porch of the old antebellum-looking funeral home, you know, in a little small town, Powder Springs, we're standing out there, and we're joking, we're laughing, we're talking about deer hunting, we're talking about this, we're talking about that, and he's just standing over there. Now, he had been raised in a certain Christian faith in America that is very liturgical and very stiff that, that gives the idea if you follow sacraments and you do certain things, you come talk to certain people, then you'll, you'll eventually make it to heaven. But as he stood there, he didn't say anything. He didn't join in. He didn't cuss like he usually, he just said nothing. He was taking it all in. Nobody noticed it. That we knew he was there, but nobody noticed. So the next day, we have the funeral. We have the funeral. He's at the funeral. And the preacher gets up and preaches, and people say it, amen, small independent Baptist church. People shouting glory, and I mean singing the old hymns, and everybody's singing. And through the sadness, there was joy that you know as a believer. Not as those who have no hope. And so it was done and we went to the cemetery and one of his co-workers that, had, that didn't deer hunt with us and was actually one of his bosses but was a preacher and knew the family drove him to the cemetery. And as we buried my uncle, as we got back in our vehicle, he got back in the vehicle with this preacher, his age that he worked with, and they drove for a few miles and it was dark, uh, stark quiet. And my preacher buddy said, all of a sudden he blurts out, I just don't get it. It's okay. What do you not get? He said, how is the family happy? How are they? He, he said, last night they're standing on the front porch. Their loved one's not in there. And, and it wasn't like a wake. He said, because we don't do a wake. We do a visitation. He said, well, I don't get that. Their loved one's dead. His daddy was dead. We just put him in the ground and they're hugging and they're, yeah, I saw them crying and stuff, but they seem happy. I don't get it. About this time, they pulled back into the parking lot of the church to drop him off. And they sat in the truck and my dear preacher friend began to give him Jesus and began to explain the hope that is Christ. And in a few minutes, he said, what do you think about us going into church and getting down and praying? Are you ready to believe what we believe and to have that peace and that joy in the midst of trials and, and, and tribulation? He said, I need it bad. I want it now. They get out and they walk up and the doors of the church are locked. Somebody locked the doors, you know, and they went around to the back and tried to go in the back door and it was locked. And this, listen, you think God don't have a sense of humor? They were remodeling the bathrooms in the church and sitting out back of the church was an old toilet. And they knelt down over the toilet and he professed his sins and asked Jesus to save him. The man they called Potty Mouth gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ, became a God-called preacher, went to Bible college, Drove his 16-year-old daughter to the DMV to get her driver's license. And on the way home, she was driving. And 
made a mistake and both of them were killed. I'll tell you something. The John I knew from the deer woods, I would have seen in hell, but the John I knew that I heard and sat under preaching the gospel that gave his life to Christ, I know where he's at. The world wants what you've got. Now, if they want what we've got in Christ, do you have anything visible that they would want? But listen, not only should we not Listen to the noise and we need to not be surprised when everyone is not our friend. But we do not need to be disturbed by the things in this world because, listen, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. He said in verse 4, For if God spared not the angels and the that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Oh, how we've forgotten. And he delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelt among them, and seeing and hearing, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Many of us, though saved, are caught up in the midst. We have given up, we have given over, and we dwell in the midst of sin rather than making a stand. He said in verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Look with me. There's enemies among us. And he tells us all the way back from glory. Angels versus demons. God did not tolerate rebellion in the ranks of glory. What makes you think he's going to tolerate your sin? You've read Isaiah. You've studied the book of Revelation. You see in Isaiah where Lucifer said, I will be God. I will be exalted. Seven times he used the first person singular. I, I, I. And God says, eh, wrong answer. And God in a fell swoop, not second chances with the angels, God kicked Lucifer and a third of the angels followed him out. We see in Revelation where that dragon takes his tail and sweeps a third of the angels with him. We see God judging them because of their rebellion. Now you may be saved but living in rebellion. You will not die and go to hell, but you'll smell like it when you get to glory. If you laid your head down tonight and it was the last time this side of heaven and you woke up to the face of the Savior who knew no sin and died for all of your sin, would you hear well done or would you hear medium rare? Would it be what, hey, man, I love you, you did a great job. Or is it, I love you 
in spite of your bad works. And we sit there. I love a good bonfire. I am redneck, I guess. I love a good fire. Jerry, you with me? Man, light it up. Because after this life, there won't be none for me. No fire. All the light and all the glory will come from the face of the Savior. I love a good bonfire. Man, that's, that's good stuff. But the one bonfire I don't want to see is when all my bad works are piled up and burnt in front of me. Do you know the Bible says that you, listen to me, when we talk about avoiding the noise, sometimes we're the noise. The Bible says to avoid the noise, but the fact is you will give an account. Now think about this. Excel spreadsheets, balancing your checkbook, trying to get it down to that last penny. You will give an account for every idle word you speak. Every idle word. That means the words when it's just you and your buddies. When it, it doesn't seem like it has any impact. It's not when you're standing teaching your Sunday school class. It's when you're riding down the road with a buddy or when you're in the Walmart parking lot or going down the expressway and somebody cuts you off. Idle words matter because you're going to stay in account for them. God will judge the angels and demons the angels, he's actually already judged. There's no judgment coming because that is what it is. But we need to understand God didn't tolerate rebellion in the ranks of glory. But look in verse 5. He said, he spared not the old world but saved Noah. This is followers versus rejectors. Have you ever put yourself in that context of the pre-flood? You ever thought about that? Anybody ever thought about that? I've often thought, what would I think? If Noah was preaching that, what would I think? Get right or get left. What are you building, Noah? I'm building a boat. What does it look like? I have no idea. I've never seen one. What's it for? God said build it. Why? It's going to rain? Really? What's rain? Never rained. No need in it. And all of a sudden, one day it starts to rain. Noah goes and everyone rejects. And the water begins to rise. You see, the ark is a picture of God's grace. He said he protected Noah. In the old world. If you miss everything else. Listen if you're lost today. Don't you hear what I'm about to tell you. When Noah's family. Was safely on that ark. And everyone else had rejected. There was a point. That God's invitation. Was closed. And the door was shut. You remember what the scripture said then. Who sealed the door. God sealed the door. You say, I just believe God will give me another chance. I believe, listen, I'm going to tell you, one day God's going to seal the door. And your opportunity and chance will be over. God did not 
flood the earth until Noah was safe. God loves his children. I don't know if you feel like that today. I don't know if you realize that today. God loves you. God cares about you. God cares about the little things. If he said that we pray and we trust him and we pray in his will, he would give us the desires of our heart. Not worldly desires, but when we desire to please him. God cares about you. He cares about the little things. So I don't want to bother God. I, that is so derogatory toward an eternal God. God's not bothered by his children. God loves you. Pray. God will protect you. But then we see not just that God protects the followers and rejects the rejectors, but we see the justified versus the ungodly. And for sake of time, we won't go over it, but we see the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that just Lot, Lot, a God follower, stained his righteous garments with the filth of the place he tolerated. Lot had no business living where he did. So well, maybe he didn't have a choice. He had a choice. Go back in the story when his servants and Abraham's servants got in a fight and all that. should never happen. There's a point where you can be so blessed it does nothing but cause trouble in your life. You ever prayed for something and got it and wish you'd never had it? I've heard many couples say the happiest time of our life was in that little bitty house when we didn't have nothing, we didn't have air, we didn't have a whole lot, but we had each other. Things sometimes get in our way, don't they? Church, I don't know if you realize this, but we're living in modern day Sodom and Gomorrah where everybody is right in their own eyes. Do you remember how horrific that scene was when God's ambassadors came to Lot's house and these men, even in the face of that, said, send them out here that we can have our way with them. That's what the evil world thinks about God and his people. And once we give them the gospel, if God draws you away, even Jesus said, if you go into that city and they utterly reject you, Knock the dust off your feet. Shake your apron from anything that would be tainted by that place and leave. Jesus say that or not? God said mark them through the apostle Paul. See them. And if they reject it and openly bring a heresy and apostasy and you pre preach the gospel, do not continue to cast the pearl before the swine. Go out from them. Do you understand how much it cost Lot? It cost him his wife, didn't it? Because she was so tainted. When she got out of the city, she turned back with a heart for it. The Bible says a man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy. Lot's wife looked back. And that strong more of what a scripture, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. Don't look back for the leeks and the cucumbers of Egypt. Be thankful to be out of bondage. Don't sit around talking about the good old days and give Satan all the glory and reject what Jesus has brought you out of. God did not destroy Sodom till Lot was out of the city. Safe. 
It's all about salvation, right? He delivered Noah. And by the way, the rainbow belongs to God and nobody else. God delivered Noah safe. God delivered Lot safe. And finally, listen, don't be surprised when everyone's not your friend. And don't be disturbed by the fact that judgment is coming. And don't be distracted by the temporary because, listen, real deliverance is on its way. The Bible tells us the Lord knows how to deliver. Anybody with me say amen right there? God knows how to deliver us from what it... Have you ever been in a hopeless situation you said, I believe in God, but I don't even think God can get me out of this. And God brought you out. What did David say? Man, I love Psalm 40. He said... God brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of a miry clay. He brought me out and put my foot on the rock and established my going. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you did this morning. What I care about and what I know is God can change it and God can make your life count. God can make your life count. Listen, it starts with God's eternal salvation he says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The Bible tells us through the Pauline epistles that there is no temptation among men that Jesus didn't experience and that God would give us a way of escape through His Son. And through His salvation, eternal salvation, even though we falter, sin was judged at Calvary. That's why once you're saved, you're always saved. The judgment for sin, the penalty of sin is gone. We need now to pray that God would give us victory over the power of sin. But for us who are believers, death, hell, and the grave has no victory over us. Starts with God's eternal salvation. It continues through His conquering spirit. Day in, day out, He's watching us. He's watching over us. He's lifting us up. He sealed us until the day, uh, day of redemption. He said He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. It continues through His conquering spirit, but finally it culminates in His Son's return. All of this is... He said, be warned, these things are happening, but this is not all there is, church. There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by. I don't know, but I'm more convinced now than I've ever been, and I've been pretty convinced that we're so close to the day Jesus. I've heard more believers talking and praying, even so, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. Some of us fret about what, how the election goes, and I totally get that. And I've said this, what about our children? What about our grandchildren? What will the world look like? One thing I know is Jesus is still on the throne. And if he hasn't come, he'll still be sitting on that throne. And when the father looks over and says, go get my children, will be the only time he leaves that throne. But because of what we've just read, he will not suffer his church to go through this wrath. God will not fully pour out his wrath till his children are home safe. I 
I love those fall Saturday afternoons. When I was a young boy, my dad wasn't into sports, so Saturday wasn't a day we sat around and watched college football. If anything, I looked forward to Saturdays because that was the only time they put fishing shows on. Roland Martin and Bill Dance has got to be 93 years old because they was old, it seemed like, fishing when I was watching them back then. I'd watch those fishing shows. But me and my brothers, my buddies, we'd get out and ramble. We'd ride our bikes and we'd go down to the ponds behind the elementary school and we'd play on the playground behind the elementary school. We'd do all those things. But we knew, we knew when the sun began to set. It wasn't, I mean, mom and dad let us play after dark, but on Saturday night was different because it was time to get ready because Sunday was coming. And if we were not in by the time it got pretty dark, one of my parents would be standing on the back porch hollering, come on, boys, it's time to come home. We may not be able to see the house from where we were, but we knew the sound of our parents' voice. Come on, boys, it's time to come home. Sunday's coming. I want you to know something. Sunday's coming, church. And we say, well, I'll be there if the Lord tarries his coming. I'm going to tell you something. The Lord will not tarry. When God says go, he's coming. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be called up together with him in the air, church. As they come to the instruments, I want you to understand something. You've been warned. This world is not for you. This is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. And if you don't know Jesus Christ and you've made your home of this earth, this earth's going to end and so is your life. What matters is that you know the Savior. Are you willing to come today and say, Lord, I need to humble my... I repent. I know without you there is no hope. And I need to trust you. Come. Just as you are. Come to Jesus. You're saved, but you're like Lot. You've been mingled in. So it's, it's hard to distinguish what side you're on. Or you've just been disturbed by all the noise. You need to come and say, God, clear it up. Get it out. May I hear from you and trust you today. Stand and come. Come to Jesus.